Uh, joining me in the studio now is Tony Vidler. Tony's well known as a uh, speaker, a coach, a consultant, uh, an occasional a commentator on good returns. Occasional, yeah. occasional. occasional yeah. Very occasional. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Now, I was interested to talk to you. You, you get around a lot and you're involved in uh, some of the groups and you're, you're yep. seeing a lot of what's happening out there at the moment. Can you give me a, a, an update on what you're seeing happening in that FAP space at the moment? In the FAP space? Yeah. Uh, it would be fair to say that, that in the main, most of the FAPs have elevated their standards and their practices dramatically over the last few years, which has been fabulous. And now they're trying to reintroduce efficiency into their businesses. Mm -hmm. They've spent so much time um, focusing internally on building systems. Now they're trying to actually make those systems work more profitably. So there's a lot of focus on what software programs they're going to use, what CRMs they, they stick with. Um, whether or not they need to bring on more staff. There's a lot of efficiency-driven sort of focus at the moment in the FAP space. Most of them are reasonably well better down in terms of meeting the regulator's expectations and the likes. Mm -hmm. so. And uh, people moving around in groups, what are you seeing there? Yes, there's certainly people moving around. One of the things that uh, you know, a number of commentators around the industry had spoken about some years ago, uh, and, and I would sort of point to Russell Hutchinson and, and myself and Barry Reid, we'd, we'd talked about this quite a lot, quite openly, that we thought there would be a bit of a flight to uh, you know, the herd mentality, if you like, the safety of the herd with, with new regulation. And somewhere within the two or three years that followed that, there would probably be a bunch of people that wanted to break away from the herd again. And we're starting to see that happen. Already? Already. And so we're March, it's November. We're effectively just over two years into the new world. I guess yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's about when we would have expected it, maybe a little bit early. Mm -hmm. um, but we're certainly starting to see a lot of uh, advisory firms and individual advisors wanting to break away from the institutional control uh, and, and set up independently. So, so what do you think is driving that? What are the motivations? <laughs> In the main, there's, there's still that generic Kiwi attitude of, I want to be my own boss. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, I do like having a lifestyle business, and I do like being able to play golf on a Friday afternoon, mm -hmm. and, and so on and so on. So the, the lifestyle driver is still quite big in New Zealand, and there's a lot of, I mean, this is a, a nation of high street shopkeepers, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it works well. Mm -hmm. uh, once you get out of the, you know, the say the three big centres, it is still a very provincial business. You know, the people that are well embedded in their community, that you know, they've been on the rugby club board for the last 15 years and, and so on and so on. Um, so they do want to run their own shop their own way and they're known by their personal brand rather than their XYZ limited brand. Um, so they, want, they crave that, that personal position in, in society and that personal control. And frankly, I, I think a number of the, the larger groups and the institutions have not done themselves any favours by trying to exert too much control in, in some areas. Mm. So, because that was my next point I was going to ask you about, is it seems to me that particularly in the insurance and the lending space mm. that these institutions are, are, are trying to get more involved and in, in looking <laughs> at what advisors are doing and, and maybe going too, well, two things, they're going too far, but there's also lots of variability in how they're doing it. Oh, hugely. Um, and I agree with both your points. Uh, I, I, I do think they are going too far. Um, I th while it's absolutely fair and reasonable in a, a regulated environment that any institution that's using an independent um, distribution channel will have an interest and concerns and want some oversight in their process and make sure that they, you know, they are compliant, that's absolutely understandable. 
um, they step over the line when they start questioning the suitability of the advice given. And we're seeing that come through in a number of ways. We're seeing that in customer satisfaction surveys uh, from, from institutions that are sent out after a, a proposal has been put in place. Uh, we're seeing it from, from dealer groups and mortgage aggregators that are, are questioning whether or not a particular loan structure was appropriate. More often than not, the people that are doing the actual questioning have got no advice qualifications themselves anyway. So I, I really question their competency to question the competency of the advisors. Surely, surely that's just a, 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 a problem going to explode into something bigger? You would think that one day there's going to be some sort of um, confrontation over it. Now, how and where that is led and who by, who knows, um, it's probably going to be driven by, um, you know, litigation, I would imagine. That's, that's normally the catalyst for these things, but litigation's pretty rare. You know, it normally doesn't get into a courtroom when we've got a, a big punch-up going on in New Zealand. It's normally settled all beforehand. So it could be a long time coming. So should, uh, who can an advice to turn to if something like this is happening and saying, well, you know, this institution's going too far? That's a great question. Um, we, we don't have a unified professional voice. Uh, we haven't had ever in my time in the industry. Uh, and, and while we do have a professional body out there, it's you know, voluntary membership. Um, it, it doesn't lobby particularly well or particularly hard on, on advisor issues. I mean, it lobbies for legislative positions, but it doesn't represent the advisors. And, you know, for instance, we've never seen fans take on FSC over interpretations. And I would have thought that would be a natural battleground. Mm. Um, you know, instead, they seem to be allowing FSC to move into advisor management space. And so, you know, there's, there's no unified advisor voice area out there. And realistically, all they can turn to is their, their dealer groups if they, they belong to one, you know, whether it's um, a mortgage aggregator or whether it's a dealer group or whether it's a an institutionally controlled brand, that's, that's about all I can turn to. Because mm. in the old days when we had like the New Zealand Mortgage Brokers Association, mm. I think they were very good at you know, lobbying for brokers and particularly against yeah. banks when banks were doing... You know, yeah, and they did. And, and, and you know, first and foremost on their agenda back in the old NZ, NZ MBA days was, was trying to get unified forms to use across all of the lenders and the likes. You know, they, were, they were actively working to try and make business more efficient and represent the advisor's interests in that channel. Mm -hmm. And I, th I thought they used to do a really, really good job of that. Mm. And that's sort of what we need again, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and um, do you worry about the sort of the regulators are starting to get, you know, looking too deep into sort of what's happening with the advice being given? Not especially, no. Oh. Um, my, my experience, and of course we, we do provide um, compliance monitoring services to, to a bunch of firms as well, so we've, we've had a little bit to do with the mm. FMA and seen the, the work of the FMA. I, I would say generally speaking, they've actually been pretty good thus far uh, with how they've approached the problems in the industry and uh, how they've approached their, their monitoring visits and the likes. And they're not overreaching, they're staying fairly focused on process. Uh, occasionally there has been you know, one or two people perhaps uh, inside the FMA that have expressed an opinion during an audit where you go, that's over, over the line, but it's not a general position they take. Yeah. And yeah. This, this is that sort of issue where you've got people who haven't given advice, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, saying this is good or bad advice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've sat in, in one a, a little while ago now where uh, we literally had um, <laughs> one, one of the authorities expressing an opinion on whether a, a particular loss of earnings contract was appropriate. 
And it's like, you're the least qualified person in the room to have an opinion on this. <laughs> you've got no advisory qualifications. You've, you know, you've only ever worked for the government. I don't think you've ever really left school, you know, <laughs> let alone actually understand anything about what happens in consumer land. And there you are expressing an opinion on whether this is the appropriate contract. Yeah. Totally inappropriate. Yeah, it's something we will have to watch and uh, yeah. see where it goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just finally, can you guys give us a little bit of a, your thoughts on the future of FAPS? Ah. I think that what we will see a lot of in New Zealand is we'll see a lot of micro-mergers over the next few years. Uh, I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, one and two man band type businesses turning into sort of four and five man businesses. I mean, I think that's probably an optimal size, mm. um, taking into account most want to do work from home type strategies now. Mm. Um, the market's very comfortable with that. But that's about the size where you're going to get maximum efficiencies in terms of you know, how much you spend on your overhead, sharing staff, those sorts of things. We're starting to see those businesses um, blossom pretty quickly. Um, there's, a, there's now a lot more four and five advisor businesses, often with very loose structures underneath them. You know, it may well be four or five individually owned FAPs that are operating under one brand. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think we'll see a lot more of that. It, it makes a lot of commercial sense, meets the regulatory regulatory requirements, but it also gives them better marketing power and better marketing position as well. So I think we'll see a lot more of that. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see the Australian experience of, uh, what was it, 2003 when they had their first wave of reform. They had they ended up within three years, I think, uh, something like 92% of distribution was controlled. Mm. Um, yeah, it was only 8% independent. I don't think we'll see that here. No, no. Oh, it's going to be really interesting just to see how over the years that whole this whole model um, pans out. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming in, Tony. Lovely no to see you. And yeah, again, thank you. Thanks again. Yeah.